Welcome to another edition of The Great Speech. Who wrote The Great Speech? It's The Big Speech. This is The Big Speech podcast. The Great Speech. Come on. Ah, all right. I'm your host, <clears throat> Landon Free. Uh, with me today, our speech picker of the day is uh, MJ. MJ Schaefer, Michael Jordan Schaefer. We're a high on the last dance. Great to be here, Landon. It was a great documentary I put together. Yeah, <laughs> right. And his uh, arch adversary, Ross Magic Johnson. Boo! Boo! <laughs> on mute! On mute! Kids are asleep and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and finally, Matt Charles Schultz. Charles? I get Charles Barkley? <laughs> what, what the heck? <laughs> Hold on! That, that's not Charles Barkley. That is the uh, famous cartoonist of Snoopy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, that makes it a lot better. Great. Okay, we're good. We're oh, in good. that case. So, Mike's our guy. New new quad here. We're uh, fake speeches, movie speeches of the fictional variety. What do we talk about today? Okay. Um, the speech I have picked for today is Rocky Balboa, inspirational speech, the speech that he famously gave to his son in the sixth Rocky film of the franchise. All right. Um, every Rocky film sort of has at least one, sometimes two speeches that really sort of serve as the major transition point for a particular character, either Rocky or someone close to him in this film. Uh, And in this particular film, as we're going to be talking about later on, the transition takes place between, uh, well, with Rocky's son. All right. So Rocky's son is a little bit embarrassed because Old dad wants to get back into the boxing ring at the ripe old age of 60 plus, and his son is a little bit embarrassed about it. Now, what kind of brought my life into the Rocky films, the Rocky franchise? Um, Schaefer's, we sort of grew up on Rocky. I remember around fourth grade, it's kind of that age where we started checking out a Rocky film every Saturday and kind of working through them. They were, they were very sort of impactful to me. So um, with those things being the case, I thought it would be fun to start off with um, a speech from a Rocky film that uh, kind of touches with people of our generation in a special way. Um, and for those listening out there, our generation is early 30s, all right, just so there's no doubt. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of messages in here that can, that can sort of transcend that. So before I start uh, ra- rambling any further here, let's look at the speech itself here. I'm going to do my best to kind of capture that same power of Rocky Balboa. Rocky says, you ain't going to believe this, but you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's going to be the best kid in the world. This kid's going to be better than somebody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching you. Every day, it was like a privilege. 
Then the time comes for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It is a very mean and nasty place, and it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But if you, but you got to be willing to take the hit and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you are because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that. And that ain't you. You're better than that. Bam. Rocky lays it all down right there. Of course, his son can't respond to that. And without going into too many details right here, Rocky's son ends up joining his dad in sort of a uh, training sequence that doesn't just change Rocky Balboa's, Balboa's body, but sort of changes his son, too. So, um, Ross... Can you, uh, you did a little bit of research here, or maybe if anyone else has anything to add on this question too, is Rocky Balboa, of course, takes place 16 years after Rocky V, a big departure from the first five films, which came out every few years. How did that exactly come about? What got us into this position? Yeah, so um, looking into it a little bit, because pretty big fan of the Rocky movies, but have never really given much thought to why each one was made or maybe what was going on in Stallone's mind. But just to kind of set up a little bit of this, I feel like this film in particular seems to be something that Stallone kind of wanted to say about himself, even at the time. So uh, as probably most people know, and Mike has referenced, this was the sixth movie in the film, but the Rocky films are kind of Stallone's baby. So of the eight films, I believe he wrote there's six or seven of the eight himself he developed he created the character himself i think he directed four of the eight films so rock sylvester stallone is tied very very deeply in with rocky baboa so um just so you guys know so rocky five which i would say is pretty right widely regarded as the least popular of the films i didn't quite realize how low it was so I uh, just did a quick Rotten Tomatoes search, and this is the this is what pops up when speaking about Rocky V. Rocky V's attempts to recapture the original's working-class grit are as transparently phony as each of the thuddingly obvious plot developments in a misguided installment that sent the franchise flailing into long-term limbo. Received a 29%. Okay? Ouch. So, pretty widely accepted is not very good um then we so that's the film itself and then we look at sylvester stallone's acting career after rocky five um he wasn't doing very well either so he's this is in an article i found online he had a painful struggle with the industry that once recognized him as one of the the biggest box office draws in the world but rejected him for some 15 years following the 1990 flop rocky five 
describing, so this is now in Stallone's own words, describing how extinct he felt during these years, Stallone says, I was going the way of the dodo bird and the Tasmanian tiger. So not in the film, obviously we see an aging Rocky Balboa doesn't really know what to do, doesn't really know where his identity is if he can't fight. And then, uh, I mean, very closely paralleled at the time, we have a Sylvester Stallone who once was this huge name, huge action star, Rocky, Rambo, doesn't really um, know what's going on either. So that's kind of where the, the films were, I guess. The Rocky Five was supposed to be the end of the franchise. Then Sylvester Stallone talking a little bit about why he made um, Rocky Balboa. Um, so again, Rocky Five was supposed to be the end of the franchise, but just uh, this is what Stallone says about it. I felt obligated to try and end the series the way it should have ended. I was very negligent with 1990s Rocky V. It didn't leave anyone with any sense of hope. It was reflective of where I was at the time. That bothered me. So pretty much Stallone's acting career not doing very well. Rocky V didn't receive very good reviews and kind of closely parallels him. And I think it was interesting that um, just this sense of, I guess, identity kind of wrapped up in this guy trying to kind of have a second chance or a second shot, which obviously is themed up very well with the Rocky films. So anyway, that's a little bit about why, what happened after Rocky five and why Stallone and Rocky felt like kind of, they needed a second chance. Oh man. Rocky five sucked. (laughs) That was terrible, terrible movie. Something else. Sorry, real quick, just to flip in there quickly for a large, so Rocky is supposed to be the series. I mean, to all of us, right? It's inspirational. Like we look forward. It's this champion for a a huge part, apparently of the filmmaking of Rocky five. He died at the end of Rocky five in the street. Um, and then it's a close, I don't know where exactly, but close to the completion of filming, they kind of decided to switch that in the script. So yeah, don't really know what was in Stallone's mind at the time, but it does seem somewhat doesn't mesh with, I guess, the overall feel of what Rocky Balboa is or who Rocky Balboa is. Boy, was that a big save. Thanks, Russ. That would have been an even worse ending to an already terrible movie. You know, I I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of the (laughs) nature of Rocky V, but I do, in fairness, want to give a few shout-outs to the film. One being the song that Elton John wrote for the film, Measure of a Man. Great song. Um, And two, even this film has a speech. Um, I suggest you go check out the speech between Rocky and Adrian upon their return to his old neighborhood. But um, those are those are uh, topics for another day, I suppose. Um, So let me pose a question. Some of you guys here. Is there any example of a speech like this from someone close to you that just sort of rocked you a little bit? And sort of significantly uh, altered the trajectory of your life? I don't know. I don't know if there's ever one speech, but um, I just, uh, so I guess a little bit of background for the audience who may or may not know my story. Um, I, uh, I was in physical therapy school, right? So graduated from undergrad and, and was in this doctorate program to become a physical therapist. Um, and about midway through, I began uh, 
discerning uh, entering the seminary to become a Catholic priest, which would be a complete departure from my current trajectory career-wise. And I do remember, um, gosh, I mean, I, I suppose I couldn't like say one line or one phrase or like some sort of mantra, um, but I definitely remember like several really challenging conversations I had with a priest I was talking to about this decision at the time. Um, that really challenged me. It's like, yeah, at some point, if, if you're going to follow uh, God's will for your life and you're going to do something like this, you got to be like, you've got to challenge yourself and you really have to push yourself to do things you never thought you would do. And you have to be willing to take criticism for a lot of people who mean a lot to you. And um, yeah, I think just really uh, a lot of those conversations just were, were challenging um, and helped me confront uh, a lot of fears that I had regarding that decision. Um, so yeah, I think that that's definitely like a pivotal moment where I kind of had some sort of experience like this, maybe not quite as, as compact, you know, and, and um, concise as this one speech was, but uh, certainly a similar effect. Yeah, that's, that's a uh, good one there for sure. The example that comes to my mind is, I, I think some of you guys have heard this before, but uh, when I was a senior in high school during track season, uh, man, I was I was really excited because I thought this is my season to break the school's two-mile record, and I got sort of... Um, lamed up with an IT band injury that details for the PTs in the crowd. And, um, and so anyway, you know, obviously my training and racing didn't go how I wanted with that being the case. But one day after a track meet late in the season, so there's just probably three or so meets left. Um, and I was sort of like already having my head between my knees, like whatever, you know, I'm just not going to really worry about it. I didn't have a good track season and that's it. You know, I'll still run a lot in college on my own. My mom, she calls me into the kitchen after our track meet that night. And she says, Michael, I don't know whether I should cry with you. Or tell you to get your head out of your ass because you're running scared out there. That's not the Michael that I know. And uh, anyway, you know, she obviously swapped uh, some more words after that of uh, constructive criticism and such. But anyway, I did end up getting my head out of aforementioned ass and running pretty well, even though I was sort of ready to just sort of you know, toss in the towel because I figured like, yeah, hey, it's just a few meets left. So uh, that's definitely one one Rocky-esque speech in my life. And my mom, whenever I bring that up, she always sort of like rolls her eyes like it was no big deal or something. But uh, but it definitely was. So how do you run scared or run timid? What, run uh, scared. What, uh, what allows one to get their deeper horsepower? On great question. Um, running a race, especially in high school, requires such a high level of pain that it's very easy to run at a level that feels hard, but is not actually your hardest. And it shows in the times because you're just 
you're not making any aggressive moves out on the track that are going to move you from pack B to pack A. So stuff like that. You know, you end up running a uh, 10.30 instead of a 10.15. That's, uh, that's what it looks like. So Landon or Ross, do you guys have any uh, stories sort of vulnerable? No. Okay. Just cut. To be totally honest, yeah, I don't have. I don't feel like I have that defining. At least nothing comes to mind offhand. So nothing has. I don't have the defining speech given to me yet. Everything I've read about Ross, I mean, he just came out of the gate. As soon as you put him on a field, a track, a court, it was just a hundred miles an hour until the buzzer rang. Pure Johnson Fury. (laughs) That's right. And he left his opponents catching their breath metaphorically while he was literally catching his breath. <laughs> covering asthmatic. Recovering asthmatic. I don't have a lot else to add to that. For a small town newspaper, that's a pretty epic headline. No. My the not to get into this too much, my favorite look my favorite headline ever written about me was just Doug's boy. That's all it said. <laughs> Very proud of that one. Um, okay. So great Rocky speech here. What what are some of the other speeches from Rocky films that stick out to you guys? And also sort of hone in if you can, just from best memory of maybe a brief message from uh, any of those speeches that you recall. I'm going to have to go with um, when he's talking to Adrian and Rocky four on the stairwell when he's decided he's going to fight Ivan Drago after his Drago has killed his best friend, Apollo Creed. Um, just kind of, I guess a little bit to, I mean, I think all these it's, we're kind of talking about similar things. So maybe they're all going to tie in with one another, but a little bit of Mike's uh, kind of running scared. I just think about, you know, that how, I don't know if everyone's familiar with that speech. I don't know if we want to relay each Rocky speech, but um, when he says, that he's going to have to be willing to die himself, just how committed, I guess, yeah, just how all in Rocky is and what he's willing to do and to give up for in that stake, in that space, that fight. Um, I thought that was pretty powerful. So Rocky four, Rocky on the stairs talking to Adrian. Love it. Classic. Definitely the best training montage of any film for sure. I far, by far the best training montage, and I think that watching uh, that training montage just makes me want to go work out. Like, like, and I don't mean like work out like jog. I want to like throw stuff and like just run into a wall, <laughs> and just yeah, great, great job, great, great montage. All right, I'm the I'm the Rocky novice here. I've seen the first one. It's about boxing, Landon. Really, <laughs> really. <laughs> Can we clarify that for the viewers? This is the boxing movie series, right? Um, <clears throat> so four is four the best one? I feel like it's four like the one on the steps at the Philadelphia. That's a, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Did he just put together? No, it's uh, Philadelphia steps. You can see those in Rocky one, two, three. Five in Rocky Balboa. So every film but, except for Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> they 
play a major role. But but isn't four isn't four like the best? Isn't that when when we got Eye of the Tiger and those songs? Eye of the Tiger was Rocky three. <laughs> yeah, okay. that was that was when Eye of the Tiger first appeared. All right. Um, the Rocky, like the kind of the the typical Rocky training theme was appears in all of the movies, but that like first appeared in Rocky one. That kind of iconic scene of him like pumping both fists in the air on the the Philadelphia steps that that first happened in Rocky one, and they've kind of replicated that scene like pretty much throughout except for Rocky four. Well, but Rocky IV, the Philadelphia steps become too small for him. He needs an entire then mountain. he climbs mountains for his An entire freaking mountain. And spars with pine trees with just an axe. The, it's the, the muse, Philadelphia Museum of Art, just to, to put a point on that exact building. I've walked by them. I've been there, but I, I haven't. I haven't taken in all the movies just yet. Is there a Rocky statue there in real life? Or is that just a movie thing? Yeah, there is one there. Great question. Um, There is a Rocky, the same Rocky statue in Philly, but it's not at the steps. It's like in a park nearby, I believe. Um, how, how exactly did the Rocky character come to be? Who is the inspiration for it? Um, I'm reminded of this question because in a short clip, um, from a show on ESPN, a channel that I never watch, uh, they described how, um, Rocky's character came from a real guy. Anyone know that real story? Who is the real Rocky? I'm blanking on the name, but if I recall correctly, he was fighting Muhammad Ali, or Ali and similar to a theme in Rocky 1 and Rocky Balboa and Creed, <laughs> he goes the distance. <laughs> Just doesn't doesn't he doesn't win the fight per se, but he wins in a way as it, uh, goes the distance and maybe wound he shouldn't have. Ross, I believe I believe you're talking about Chuck Hepner, uh, the man who who fought oh. Muhammad Ali. Hey, and, hey Charles, uh, it's Chuck Chuck Wepner, I believe. Whatever his name is, you know. Um, but yeah, apparently this guy uh, sued Sylvester Stallone later on, and uh, I guess they had some sort of settlement or something. But um, but yeah, rumor has it Rocky Rocky Sylvester Stallone spent three like the next three days just writing furiously after attending that fight, and that was Rocky one. Yep, that's absolutely true. Fifteen rounds. Chuck Wepner went with Muhammad Ali. Pretty pretty extraordinary. Uh, very. It, there is a lot of striking similarities to Stallone's character and the Chuck. Um, Chuck also was just sort of a local stud uh, in terms of boxing, and um, and he was he was fighting Ali for the for the heavyweight title. So pretty pretty incredible here. Um, so can I just touch on one thing? <clears throat> so I feel like Rocky. It's almost like he almost reminds you of like a it's like a myth, like a story, a fictional story that's given to like tell certain truths about humanity or people. So I think, you know, a lot of people identify with Rocky. Um, but 
just in case there's other novices listening, Matt, give us just a quick, or someone, I guess, give us a quick, why is Rocky this mythical figure in our, in our really our world today? I mean, I think uh, if you think about America, like we are, America is somewhat of an underdog story, right? So a bunch of colonists are getting, you know, overtaxed on their tea. We start a revolution and start our own country, right? Fight against like the greatest military force in the world. And we put up enough of a fight that they leave us alone and we get, you know, we start our country, right? So I think at really at the foundation of American uh, literature and folklore, like underdog stories are a huge deal. And I think Rocky is kind of a consummate underdog, right? So we had a bum career up to age 30, right? He's uh, 30 years old when he fights Apollo Creed in in the first one. Um, He's poor. He's abandoned. uh, People are calling him a loser over and over again. Um, He's injured throughout the movies. As soon as the second movie, doctors are telling him he should stop fighting. Otherwise, he's going to go blind. But he, I mean, never goes blind. Um, he, and even if you just watch him box, like maybe it's just a movie, but like he has very little skill, <laughs> like very little skill. He is a terrible boxer, but like he has, but he has so much heart, right? And that's that's uh, evident in the training. It's evident in his fighting style. It's evident in the the story and the speeches and all of this. Um, so I think the underdog stuff is a huge deal. Like people relate to that. Um, he gives us hope. Um, and is uh, also just a, a really simple beacon of wisdom, right? So there's uh, – and there are scenes kind of in each and every movie where he has just some sort of simple line, simple type of, of wisdom uh, or quotes to live by. It's, it really is a, a very quotable series of movies. Um, and I think something you mentioned earlier, Ross, with the speech that you really liked from Rocky IV is he's uh, he's got this, sort, this very like masculine – um, but not not like cartoonish over the top uh, disposition just as like a, a, a daring person you know a man who's daring he's a protector hardworking um, wants to provide for for his family um, yeah and I just think there are a number of speeches that really like speak to all of these like very uh, I mean desires that every everyone has to some degree but I would say desires that, kind of reach the masculine heart very particularly. Yeah, thanks for bringing that back up, Ross, the idea of myths that I made some notes on and how I related that idea in terms of um, uh, something I'd read elsewhere or heard elsewhere was on Jordan Peterson's lectures on the Bible. Does anyone listen to any of that Mm. series? For sure. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. And he brings up this idea of truth and he articulates the concept of truth in a way that is both very compelling um, and I think just a little bit more open minded, actually, than our modern day Western world tends to conceive of truth. And he articulates it this way in that, um, you know, truth that we find in religion and literature and mythology, they have a very 
objective way of touching on something uh, inside of being a person. They're they're in a sense sort of like evidence of the certain objective elements of humanity. And if we don't, if we aren't intentional in investing and studying what they have to say, then then you know we're essentially going to be abandoning or, or giving up uh, certain parts of our humanity. I actually don't think he used exactly those words. I'm going to kind of give myself some credit for expanding upon Peterson's <laughs> ideas. Um, but you know the point is that I think that to connect this back to Rocky here is that yeah there is something just very objective and fundamental about the Rocky character. I mean compare him to uh, I don't know what's another big sort of very masculine character in a film from the past thirty years. Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we're going, I, I mean, this isn't a character in film, um, but I mean, if we're talking like Jordan Peterson biblical commentary thing, I mean, certainly like a David and Goliath thing, which is like a very archetypal figure. But uh, I know that wasn't what you're going for. But just the stuff you mentioned <laughs> about Peterson, I think, is I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's there's part of the reason that's a fundamental thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, is Rocky the ultimate underdog? Like, who's what's what's a bigger underdog than Rocky? Is that is that the definition? The underdog needs to be, like, believably an underdog, right? I mean, they can't be so far an underdog that it's not believable, and they can't be so much of a not-underdog that they're not an underdog. So, yeah, I mean, I think Rocky sort of hits it on the head. He is the epitome of an underdog. You know, the kind of re- – oh, go ahead. No, I just – I feel like why Rocky – I mean, we kind of like why he's – it's such a cool, like – why people i think relate to him as an underdog is because obviously the film you again using a myth to tell something like a truth or i guess if you will but it uses boxing but and obviously i wouldn't go so far to say as the rocky movies aren't about boxing but um i mean i think it's more so it touches a little bit deeper no it's not just that he's the underdog in the boxing match it's that kind of like matt referenced earlier he's this bum he's this guy on the street he's poor people call him a loser but he knows that he's worth more than that so he ha- boxing is the outlet he uses to show that. But I think at its core, it's it's more about that than the underdog underdog boxer. Um, and then I will throw out there too. I kind of agree that one thing I kind of laugh about Rocky Balboa as a film is right. You said you can't be so much of an underdog that it's not believable. Rocky one, you find some boxer that maybe he just was never given a shot. So like maybe he's legit. But Rocky Balboa. I, I would question if a 60-year-old man could go toe-to-toe with the world champion of boxing and not You couldn't, Ross, <laughs> at 60, but Rocky could. And for the listeners out there, or even people among us who have not seen the entire film of Rocky Balboa, who will remain unmentioned, uh, <laughs> Mason the Line Dixon broke his hand on Rocky Balboa's hip in the second round. So that that sort of uh, clarified the realism of the fight. Yeah, 
That only slightly makes it more believable. <laughs> He's 60 years old. <laughs> so, I want to... So, in an ironic way... I do want to, again, sort of revisit the idea of the realism of Rocky Balboa and contrast it with the non-realism of the first film. Because what I mean by that is this. The first film is non-realistic in the sense that no one other than Chuck Wepner and Rocky are going to be offered the chance to fight the heavyweight champion of the world when they're really not in a position to do that. Right. Um, but what's realistic in Rocky Balboa, arguably fighting a man who's one third of your age, but less arguably feeling like a shadow, right? That uh, the Rocky kind of intuits his son is feeling and how you go about responding to that uh, in the most human and the most authentic and the most enduring way possible, right? Um, and so I think it's, you know, Rocky's son's character, Robert, he gets obviously the most attention in this film than any other film. Well, Rocky V sort of, but we already addressed that. Um, it would be sort of an interesting story is how Robert went about responding to the speech, not just after this film, but in the period of time um, after the film. I said, okay, I had said two contradictory things. How Robert responded to uh, his father's speech in, in the years afterwards, right? Because, you know, Responding what his dad says isn't about going and training hard for three months. It's rather this incremental sort of change in attitude and disposition here. Um, so I guess we could talk about it a little bit then. If we're going to ask how Robert responded, right? So he had these feelings of he's kind of been overshadowed. He has trouble forging his own identity. doesn't really know how to find his place in life because of his – he blames his father, but – Obviously, Rocky's speech <clears throat> kind of puts that to rest. How do, I guess, I mean, Mike, you chose this speech for a reason. Do you feel like it ha will has slash will impact the way you, I don't know, move about, you know, getting ready for the future or moving forward in life? Uh, yeah, great question for sure. Um, so I'm looking right now at Matt's notes uh, from a quote from Mother Teresa where it says, God does not demand success, he demands faithfulness. Um, and I think that message really ties in well to what Rocky was saying here. So, you know, I see this speech and what Mother Teresa said there and the way that... A life of prayer, good friends, staying physically healthy, performing well in my job, that, that they all sort of like form this patchwork. And that this particular speech from Rocky that, you know, every once in a while I'll check out on YouTube, sort of give me a boost, that they all sort of fill a particular patchwork of explaining that this is how life ought to be. This is how you ought to respond to life. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of how I 
feel affected by by this particular speech, if that makes sense. Um, what about you guys? Any any small interesting ways that this or something like the speech or something like this speech uh, affects you? I mean, I think uh, the the Mother Teresa quote I posted that I, I thought was kind of tied in. I I saw it tied in, in a little bit differently. Um, more or less, so like I mean, the whole Rocky series, it's it's the underdog story, the underdog phenomena. Obviously, Rocky ends up successful, but um, but it's not about being successful. Real, like that's kind of what the movie's about. The movie is about um, not so much. It's this is only worth it if you win the world championship of boxing. The movie's about. This is what you like. You can end up in a better place in your life if you really want it, right? No matter what, and that's like what this speech gets at, and I think really kind of wraps the series up like really, really well. In that, you know, Rocky had his own shadows, so to speak. You know, he, he, you know, Robert said he feels like he's living in his dad's shadow. You know, Rocky had his own shadows, but you know, they're different. You know, the shadows were, were the things that are haunting him and, and keeping him down. Um. And uh, for Rocky, it was his lack of success, right? But that's not, you know, in Mother Teresa's quote, that's not what God wants. He just wants faithfulness. He wants, you know, basically dedication and and the the commitment to to something. Um, yeah, and so that's that's kind of what um, the tie-in between just the Rocky series in general, this speech in particular, and then what Mother Teresa says. And I think it is a really um, hope giving um idea and something that i think we can all live by yeah it's interesting that the legacy of rocky's character that you see in rocky 5 rocky boboa creed 1 and creed 2 uh that they actually sort of celebrate that very idea that rocky is still the hero but he no longer lives in the big mansion, um, but rather he's still sort of sharing his gifts, um, you know, by training, training these new fighters. You saw in the post credit scene of Creed 2 going to find his son again. So it's sort of neat to see how the films do sort of celebrate that that idea sort of um, in contrast with with other films. And I think that's actually why Rocky won. So Rocky won, won the Academy Award for Best Picture. None of the other Rocky movies were even nominated. But I think part of the reason why Rocky won, what, won the Best Picture is because of it gets at like this really deep idea, right? Because he didn't succeed ultimately in winning the heavyweight championship, but he was faithful as it comes. He was as faithful as all get out in terms of just enduring the punishment that Apollo Creed gave him, um, enduring the training, taking a fight on short notice. Um, yeah, like I think there's and as well as all like the just the personal stuff with um, pursuing Adrian, who is also perceived as this loser. Right. Dealing with her, her leech brother, Polly, you know. And, you know, he's he's faithful to all of these people, 
you know, and I think it's really cool that when he eventually gets married, if you guys remember the, the wedding ceremony he had with like five people there, you know, uh, I don't know. There are all these really like faithful moments where he just like, you know, just really sticks with his people. Um, but anyway, like this first one, like because there wasn't the success, there wasn't like the fairy tale ending. I think that's partly what makes that one like, yeah, that's why that was the best picture that year and why the other ones weren't. How about we finish things up? Uh, we'll run around the horn or run around the ring, kind of staying the theme here. Um, the speech, uh, the speech doesn't have an actual title. Uh, if you ask Google, it would say Rocky Balboa inspirational speech. So not quite a, a title that packs the same punch as Rocky's words. Um, so to finish things up, while we run around the ring and you give it the title that you think it deserves. And let's start with shortest to tallest. Ross Johnson, Ross Magic Johnson, number 32, Los Angeles Lakers. What do you got? Keep moving forward. Awesome. And coming in at six feet, 0.5 inches, small forward for the Snoopy cartoon, Matt Charles Schultz. What do we got? You nailed my height, by the way. Um if uh, if YouTube were to come up with a title, it would be Rocky Balboa destroys millennials, destroys in all caps. But uh, if I were to come up with a name for this, um, I might put it. I might say, um, gosh, I like the shadow language. Let's go with. I'll come up with something later. Come back well, to me. Matt, you know, I think I love your little YouTube reference, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I think that's it. That's your title. And right, coming in at a six feet, 2.75 inches. He also, loves, I think, nailed it. I think that's right on the doctor's orders. He loves the. Biggest club in his golf bag, Mr. Landon Free. What have you got to name this speech? So it's really in your face. I mean, he pulls his son and, you know, it's, I don't know, it's probably the ultimate pep talk. I feel like, you know, several coaches have, you know, said similar things. But the second paragraph is a little tempered. I mean, so like. You know, now if you know what you're worth and go out and get what you're worth, like, that's very mild. I mean, most of most things are like, you can achieve anything. It's all possible. So that second part's a little tempered. It's it's realist. So uh, just a simple uh, tempered pep talk. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is <on> <laughs> this is on the spot. This is on the spot. tempered. <laughs> Get what you're worth, man. Get your bread. Okay, and your starting guard, shooting guard for the 1993 Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan Schaefer, six feet, two inches, three quarters as well. Um, I, I'm going to go with 
I'm going to go with get what you're worth, but you got to take the hit. Okay, I think that is the title that Google needs to get in there. So, um, I, like I like it. I like it. I don't know who's in charge of Google. I know Mark Zuckerberg, you're in charge of Facebook. So, why don't you go ahead and contact the Google guys or girls uh, and get that worked out for us? Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to hand the mic over to Landon to sign us out. It's been a pleasure talking Rocky with you talking big stuff and i cannot wait to chat again in a couple of weeks that's our speech boom